there will always be not only the need, the desire of people, individuals in a free society to come together themselves and sort things out. Welcome to Pocket Money, everyone, the show for people who like to give as well as get when it comes to their finances. And we sure do love to give, Sally. In fact, Australian Senate, I was really surprised by this, a total of $9.9 billion to charities each year, according to the most recent AACNC Australian Charities Report. Holy moly. I know, it's massive, isn't it? Which is great. And um, I can only imagine at the moment, seeing 2020, hello, we're only in April, um, is already... <laughs> Already a bit of a nightmare, thanks to the bushfires, which feel like they're about six years ago, Mm -hmm. and now COVID-19. Yeah, exactly. So I'm sure those donations are only going to skyrocket by the end of the year. And I think when you make a donation to a charity, you kind of just trust that that money is going to go where it's needed the most, right? But I think in the recent months of 2020 that we have had so far, we've realised that it's not always that simple. Yeah, it's not always that simple. Like we saw with the bushfire effort, like, you know, we get a surge in donations often when something goes wrong. And, um, you know, those charities have a responsibility to distribute the funds and it can take months for the money to get where it's needed and sometimes might get tied up in sort of costs that, you know, you're not necessarily going to see from, from the front end. But look, the question of where is my money going has made headlines in the past and it's a really valid point to us whenever you make a donation, whether it's to a really well-known charity or GoFundMe or even if it's a little box in the supermarket. So in today's episode, we're going to be tackling that question and we're chatting to the Commissioner for the Australian Charities and Non-for-Profits Commission, God, that is a mouthful, Dr. Gary Johns, about where our donations go and also the responsibilities of charities and what to look out for before you donate your time and money. Yeah, it's a great interview. I just want to note to the listeners that we did do the interview with Gary before COVID-19, before the madness took over our lives. So a lot of the topics we covered were related to charity work and the bushfire relief, but the tips are still solid gold, completely still relevant. So if you are donating either to the bushfires, because those people are still doing it really tough, and in fact, COVID-19 has made things worse, or whether you're interested in donating into COVID-19-related things going forward, this advice is going to hold up either way. Yeah, exactly. So let's jump into the interview. Welcome to Pocket Money, Dr. Gary Johns. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Uh, Thank you for having me. And just to kick us off, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do at the ACNC? Well, as Commissioner of the Australian Charities and Not-for-Profits Commission, we register charities in Australia and there are 57,000 charities on our register. And, well, with great respect to us, the reason why they register with us is because they want the tax benefits that come with registration. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, that's the name of the game. If you want the taxation benefits that come with being a charity, you have to register with me. And that means that we can look at your credentials to ensure you are a charity. We know who your responsible people are. We've got your basic legal documents. And you also have to send to us each year an annual information statement. And that gives us 
some information about what you're up to and what your uh, income and expenditure is. God, and you get those details for 57,000 charities every year. That's wild. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty big show. We have about 100 staff, uh, but everything we do is online. We, as much as possible, avoid paper. And you can imagine for some small charities who aren't quite with the modern world, that can be a bit of a, <laughs> a trial. But, but look, almost everyone is online and it means that anyone in the world can search Australian registered charities and find out about their credentials, which is a very important part of the puzzle because we'll get to that later in the discussion. Yeah, it absolutely is. And I think um, particularly in light of some of the disasters we've had in the last um, six months or so, you know, charities have been at the forefront of everyone's minds. Gary, can you walk us through just a donation life cycle? So if I donate money to a registered charity, what, what happens next? Where does the money go, for example? Like any other business, you have to bank that donation, account for it, probably send, or you should send a receipt. And then charities will want to do more than that. They want to report back to their donors. They want to tell the story about what they're doing with the money. But they will spend money on administration. They have to. They have to account and report back and bank and so forth. So that's before you even get to think about how the money goes back out the door to its intended beneficiary. And then, of course, you have to think, well, what does this charity do? Does it deliver services to people? Does it build things? Does it hire professionals, for instance, psychologists say, to go and counsel people? So there are a thousand different ways in which your money could be spent towards its charitable purpose. My plea here is don't get too hung up about a particular measure of administrative expenditure because it may well be exactly what needs to be spent in order to your dollar to do good work. Gary, do you think people have unrealistic expectations about how, how charities run? You've, you've made some great points there. They, they need administration, they need staff, those staff need to be paid. Um, what's your feeling out there in the community? Do you think sometimes people don't really think about the implications of how a charity needs to be run? Well, they're probably unaware of the complexity of some fields in which charities work. But I think the whole thing is heightened during a crisis. Okay, mm. So we have bushfires over Christmas in Australia. People want to give and they've given magnificently, but they expect some sort of quick response. And you think, well, hang on, you can't just send money out the door and give it to anyone. You can't physically even go to those fire grounds, they're called, because they're dangerous. You have to work with others in the field, which is probably local government because they know physically where buildings are. You have to work with, uh, you know, departments of, of roads and people who who worried about uh, the electricity wires falling over and, you know, the army got involved. These things are tremendously complex. The charity is observing this and most of our big charities well all the big charities have tremendous experience here they know who they have to prep when they can go in the sort of things that we required of them and of course it's not all about the immediate response when your house has been sort of raised to the ground you're going to be in need for years 
years to come. So there's that immediate response and then there's what we call the recovery response. Now, I as Charity Commissioner know nothing about those sort of things other than I talk to charities. They're the real yeah. people who deliver these services. But I, I've gone to them to do two things, to say, look, you're copying a lot of flack in the media. You need to explain what's going on and I'll help you do that. But I'm also telling the public, I will come in and open your books and look at them. I'll audit you. But I'm not going to do it now because you're too busy. But in time, I will audit you to give reassurance to the public the money is being spent for the charitable purpose. So that, that's the period we're in now. I gave an example recently of the charity WIRES, W-I-R-E-S, and they're, they're a sort of a wildlife recovery charity. Yes. Now, their normal income is about $3 million a year, so that's pretty substantial. But when these bushfires hit televisions all over the world, they received $60 million in donations in a couple of weeks. They were getting hundreds of thousands of emails flowing through. I think it was eight a minute or something. They were getting millions of hits on their website. Now, that could have crashed. It didn't. They kept up with that. But, hey, that's administration, right? You have to cope with all of that money coming in and account for it. And the person running it, I take my hat off to her. Uh, she was nearly in tears when I spoke to her. She had to make sure the money went into a separate account. She set up an extra board that's trusted people who would manage it. And then they had to think about how they would spend that money. So I defy any business to do as well as some of our charities have in managing this explosion of money. Sounds like, wow, you're lucky. Yes, you are. But you then have the responsibility of managing the money properly and accounting for it and knowing there's a regulator sitting on your shoulder and, of course, getting that money out the door uh, to best effect. Yeah, I think that's something that we don't realise is that, yeah, with that generosity comes a lot of complexities for these charities. And you wrote a really great article uh, for the AFR over the weekend talking about what some of these charities are doing to distribute the money following this big surge of, of donations. And you mentioned Wyatt's, but the Red Cross is doing something similar as well because their fund for the bushfires has reached like $150 million or something, hasn't it? Correct. That's a lot of money and 40 million or so came from overseas. And that creates a, a different sort of problem. Sometimes you don't know the source of the fund that comes from third parties and yet you have to account for it. There's a difficulty of not being able to send receipts. There's a difficulty of uh, there are certain protocols when you receive money from overseas. It has to be uh, checked by others. And you have to make sure that money is separately accounted in an emergency fund. Can I just say on Red Cross's behalf, they established an emergency fund last July, which they do every year and it runs for 12 months and they gather money. It's true that they gathered modest amounts of money up to the bushfires and then masses of amount poured in, like up to $150 million. But in legal terms, that money is for any emergency. But because the media sort of jumped into them, said every dollar has to go to the bushfires and that's what the donor wants. Well, frankly, we don't know what the donor wants. You know, you can't interview them all. But legally, the money goes into a fund which is for any emergency. Now, uh, I think Red Cross 
did the right thing and said, okay, we'll make sure that almost all the money goes to the bushfire emergency. But if there's another emergency next week or next month, they'll need money for that as well. So that's the bit that people just don't understand. The monies go into particular, usually trust funds, and those trust funds might have very, very particular rules, very particular rules around them. And that's what happened at the Rural Fire Service in New South Wales. An extraordinary amount of money, 50 or $60 million, flowed into what we might call a very narrow trust fund. The money could only be used for very particular purposes in New South Wales to support the Rural Fire Service. And yet the woman who raised, you know, wonderfully raised all the money, quite unexpectedly, wanted it to go to other purposes. Well, there's a problem there. It's held in trust. It's a very ancient and very strong means of making sure money is not frittered away on other things. So, look, we've all learned a lot through this uh, bushfire season. People have to know not only who they want to help, the organisation that they trust to manage the money, and then the specific words used when they're asked to give money. But if I could finish on this point, it's not just where a particular packet of money goes. There are thousands of charities involved in the bushfire. So collectively, they'll work it out. Okay, if my $60 million is locked up buying fire trucks, don't worry. There's hundreds of millions of dollars that will go to people and animals and other things. So collectively, the sector will get it right. So, Gary, that's a really great point. So rather than thinking my dollars need to specifically go to whatever, um, and I guess we see this when people want to donate things as well rather than money and often the message is things aren't useful because, you know, we don't know what things are needed and where they're needed. Would you say it's fair to say to people that they just kind of need to relax a bit and know that if they're donating, these charities know what they're doing and they know how to manage the money and that it is just contributing to the greater good rather than locking down on something very specific? It is. You can't be too specific in these things and you have to trust the fact that you're putting the hand into people who know what they're doing. Red Cross does not let someone volunteer today and send them out tomorrow. They all have to be accredited and trained because you cannot send a volunteer into the field, especially a sort of a hazardous one, without them being properly trained and you know their needs are looked after, occupational health and safety issues and so on. And also that they should be trained to know that they will be dealing with people who are traumatised. Okay, all that takes money. And yet Sometimes there's an expectation that I front up, I volunteer and I want to go and help. Well, thank you very much, but you may do some damage. The same thing goes with goods. Cash is always better because it can be, you know, it's fungible. You move it around and you can dedicate it to different purposes. The old ways, with great respect to us all, of, you know, clothes and children's boys and all that sort of stuff is probably the least useful. Gary, something that strikes me that is sort of damned if you do, damned if you don't with charities is charities lean very heavily on emotion 
for donations and so they should because like you pointed out it's not a business people feel very emotional about contributing and wanting to help and obviously they lean very heavily into that with their marketing would you say the the dark side of that is the fact that people feel more ownership than they probably necessarily should around how that money is distributed it's hard to feel ownership when you're putting in 10 bucks you know or 100 Mm. bucks and it's not that rational to spend too much time thinking about where the money will go because your investment is so low. If you're putting in a lot of money, then of course you want to know and you'll probably chase it up and and take quite an interest. Again, it's in these heightened periods where the spotlight's on and everyone collectively wants to know where the dough is going. We think about that as a commission. We're the sort of premier data agency for the sector. Uh, So, In time, we'll be asking charities in the next annual information statement to tell us what programs they're running. Up till now, we've just said, what's your main activity? And they'll just repeat what the lawyers have said. What we're doing as of this July, charities are filling out their annual information statement. We'll have a piece of software in there that will say, tell us your programs, pop it in, under a category that you reckon has the best chance of being found, people you help, and where you deliver the help. So once they fill that in, we won't have 57,000 charities, we'll have hundreds of thousands of programs. Now the beauty of this is that in time, you and I can come to my platform, the website. I don't have to start with the name of the charity, I start with my charitable interest. So I might say, oh, well, sick children, stray puppy dogs, right? That's how I start my search on the website. And what will happen is you'll get a drop-down list of programs that purport to address my interests and the people or things I want to help and probably, if I want, where I want that help to be. Now, that will be an extraordinary event because all of a sudden, the whole sector will be more visible for what it does. I'm very excited about this. We call it the charity marketplace and we think it'll answer a lot of those long run questions about what charities are up to. That's awesome. And I think it's really important because like Kate said, when we're donating, we're donating emotionally. And I know as as an individual, you know, I would hope that my couple hundred dollars is going to the right place or going where I want it to. And this tool sounds like it will help with that. And I think another important point that you raised in an article that you wrote on the ACNC site, which we'll make sure to drop in the show notes, is about recognising the responsibilities of the charities versus the responsibilities of other services in these tragic situations like the bushfires. So for example, you know, if you're donating to the RFS in this, you know, big Celeste Barber fundraiser, which of course was amazing and and got so many donations. But if you're then expecting that money to go to the victims of people whose houses have burnt down, like there's an education play that's missing there. Those dots aren't being connected. There is a couple of points in there. There's have a quick look. First of all, you're going through a registered charity. Secondly, that the charity's appeal, if you like, is wide enough or suits your purposes. And the next point is the charity's not their only players out here. Federal government stepped in with large amounts of money ready for recovery. State governments are always in there. Local councils are in there. Uh, the utilities, you know, uh, electricity, water, fire. There are a lot of players in the field and charities will pick up 
what they're good at, but they don't build the road, put the electricity back on. They're not going to fix your, your telephone. They'll do more the, the immediate relief, the counselling, guiding you through government payments that are available to this category of person and not another category of person. So horses for courses, charities do what charities do, but there are a lot of other players in the field as well trying to help. Coming off that, Gary, I know like depending on what kind of government we have in power at any given time, there seems to be more onus on charities picking up what some might think are government responsibilities. Would you agree with that? Should government run everything? No. Remember, charities are around long before governments ever got going. There will always be not only the need, the desire for people, individuals in a free society to come together themselves and sort things out. See, the essence of charity is that I raise funds directly from you, a potential donor, to help a beneficiary. In this world we're in now, a lot of charities derive a great deal of their income from government. Now, that's okay, but they're not asking the donor anymore. They're not going directly. They're going to government, and government is then taxing other people to send the money through. So you see how the... There's a separation now between mm. the charity and the donor, and it goes via government. We're going to have a little uh, break for uh, a little game we play. A game probably sounds a bit scary. It's uh, <laughs> We just call it overrated or underrated. So we give you a couple of topics, and you can tell us if you think they're overrated or underrated, and, you know, if you've got a reason why, you know, f- feel free to expand. I'll, I'll throw the first one to Sally. So the first one are chuggers. So the people out on the street who, you know, you're walking to the train station and they're handing out flyers and getting you to sign up for charities. Overrated or underrated? Overrated for a couple of reasons. They're not a big part of the market and mostly they come with a cost. But the point is you don't know what the cost is. You don't know how much they or the company is taking The obvious side of that is that if a commercial fundraising organisation came in to see me as a charity CEO and they said, pal, I can raise you a million bucks, I'd be interested. Would I ask them if it took three million bucks to raise a million bucks? You know what I mean? That's the other side Mm. of the coin. So you just have to think about all the parts. Yeah, I find them really off-putting. If anything, it kind of sometimes makes me feel more negatively about charities that I probably shouldn't. I appreciate it's a means to an end, but, you know, like, I guess Sal and I based right in the middle of Sydney CBD. <laughs> um, sometimes if you just want to go and buy a coffee or, uh, I don't know, pop into the shops to buy something, you've got to run the gauntlet of the chuggers. It can it can feel like a, a hell of an obstacle course. Second overrated or underrated, the example is the ice bucket challenge. So anything that's done online that tends to become a real craze. So the ice bucket challenge, I don't know if you remember, was people tipping icy water all over themselves and filming it. What do you think? Overrated or underrated? Well, I, I just say good on you. Marketing is marketing. If it draws attention to your cause, then good on you. So I, I'd say line ball between over and under. Love it. Love a good good <laughs> on your rating. That's going to be our new yeah, system. Exactly. The last one is GoFundMe's. Overrated or underrated? Probably under for this reason. I think it's the coming thing. People live online. It's just a vehicle, that's all. The bit we have to watch out for is, okay, I press a button and money goes off. Ask where the money is going. Okay, so it's underrated from the point of view of 
it's a coming thing. It'll get bigger and bigger. It might be overrated to the extent that have a look at where that money is going. And I think that's where we get into the Celeste Barber issue, that you just press the button, boom, away you go, thinking that the money is going to some broad purpose, in fact, or to a very narrow purpose. And so it gets you a bit of heartache there. So jumping back into the the heart of the questions, and we touched on this a little bit earlier, but what should Celeste Barber have done differently in this situation? Because I think there's a lot of lessons for people to learn from this when they are, you know, thinking of doing their own individual fundraising. Well, ideally, and we're all heroes in retrospect, she would have chosen either a wider fund or something that more accurately reflected what she thought she was doing. In short, she should have done a little bit of homework. But look, who would have known? She thought she'd raised ten, twenty, hundred thousand dollars, and and good honour, she raised millions. But unfortunately, at some point, very quickly, she should have re-specified and put out some other advertising and did a deal with some other charities to have that money flow elsewhere. But easy for us to say in hindsight, but it's very difficult to fix now. Something I'm hyper aware of is. Some charities seem to be able to raise money at the drop of a hat because they're very palatable, they're high profile. I'm thinking things like breast cancers, you know, very high profile Red Cross. What happens to those little charities that either have a cause that is not sexy or cool that, that needs some love? I guess the question is two points is how can they raise their profile or, or, or you know, what would your advice be to someone that wants to make donations and, and thinking about where they send their money? Well, in the first instance, it is a marketplace out there. So everyone just has to get into the marketplace and have a crack. But it's true that there are, you know, big, long-lived charities that have uh, built up over the years and have tremendous marketing because in their time, they had something that was very appealing, emotionally appealing. Now, so what do the littlies do? How do they break into that? Well, Mm. we're going to help that with the charity marketplace. We're going to say, be known for what you do and not just because you have a name. We'll be able to produce all of the programs that are available out there in Australia and you can't Google that. If you Google charities, you'll get big names. You can't know the littlies. Eventually on our platform, the ACNC's call it charity marketplace, you will be able to go in and find program by program. So ideally, a program run by a large charity only has the same chance of being found as a program run by a small charity because the search criteria will make it pop out at the end. For the first time, you'll be able to have a, dare I use the term, a level playing field where the program will determine the results of your search, not the fact that you've gone on to Google and bang, that big name's come up the top. So, Gary, to wrap up, if our listeners want to research legitimate charities and think about some of the best ways to donate, what would be your your final food for thought for them? You come to the ACNC's website, so acnc.gov.au, and we have two big sort of signs up there on the website, one for charities and one for the public. And I've purposely put that up there because I'm inviting the public in. Come in, have a look, have a rummage around. There's all sorts of 
good information about giving and what to look for, but there's also tremendous information for charities about how they're supposed to govern themselves because that's that's a big part of our business. Come to the website and have a good play around there and I, I think you'll learn a great deal. And do you have any like final thoughts on people obviously are driven to donate during crisis, but what about the power of making a smaller but regular donation? What, what do you have to say about that? Oh, charities love that. Uh, they really crave it because it gives them a stream of income, but it's also less expensive. You don't have to keep spending money. So it's a good idea. But look, each to his own. I've donated to, uh, well, Surf Life Saving Australia for many, many years on a regular basis because some fella saved my life when I was 15 years of age. So I'm a bit beholden to them, you know. Yeah. Um, our website is not a substitute for the real world. We give to what we know or some experience in our life or whatever, but we know that there are enough floating dollars out there because that's why charities advertise. They want to capture the floating dollar because most of the dollars are, are spoken for. You know, we all, our experiences mean that we'll only give to certain things. But that's true on any market. We keep going back buying the same products or the same cars or whatever. But enough of us have a little look around and that's how markets work. Just at the margin, People are not quite sure and they start to look and that'll create uh, a lot more interest and a lot, I think, more movement in your choice of what you want to search for. Um, And that's a good thing. Well, thank you so much, Gary, for speaking with us today. I think you've shed a lot of light on what people can do to make sure their charity dollars are, are going to the right places. And we'll make sure to pop all of those resources in our show notes uh, for everybody to check out. Terrific. Well, thank you very much indeed for having me on. Thank you for your time. You've been absolutely amazing. Well, I don't know about you, Sally. I learned quite a bit. Oh, yeah. I'll be asking myself a lot of questions before the next time I I donate some money. One thing I took out of it, small regular donations is a really great thing to do. It's tax deductible. No skin off your nose. Um, All the things we've talked about are on our fabulous show notes. Just a note, uh, the marketplace Gary's mentioned is in the works. It's not live yet. They're looking at getting it in place in the next 12 months. So stay tuned. Definitely go and check out our show notes for the address for that. All your other charity needs are going to be addressed in those notes. Yep. So head to finder.com.au slash podcast for all of those deets. And as always, thank you for listening. If you're feeling charitable. Oh, stop it. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts uh, and make sure to subscribe on Spotify or wherever you uh, listen to your fave shows like Pocket Money. And as always, hit us up on Instagram, Pocket Money Podcast. We'd love to have you around. See you next time, everyone. Talk to you next week. Happy donating. Yeah. Thanks for listening to Pocket Money from Finder. Head over to finder.com.au slash podcast for the show notes for this episode. The Finder podcast is intended to provide you with tips, tools, and strategies that will help you make better decisions. Although we're licensed and authorized, we don't provide financial advice. So please consider your own situation or get advice before making any decisions based on anything in our show. Thanks for listening.
reviews are not tax deductible, but they do make you feel good. <laughs> and they make us feel good too. Oh, they make us feel bloody great. Positive yeah. reviews. Go on, only. please, please. 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 We're I not desperate. <laughs> I can't take it.